0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by witches. They're not great chefs, but you'll eat your dinner and like it. Now, let's dim the lights and start the seance. Welcome, everybody. I forgot that he says that in that clip. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Fortunato. Cast your worries aside and heal what ails you with Fortunato Pharmaceuticals. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers and we like to discuss films from the perspective of filmmakers and actors and writers and musicians and um, all the things that go into production. Uh, I think that gives us a, a fun wrinkle in how we talk and discuss films. Of course, we also actually discuss films. I feel like I listen to a podcast. Sometimes I'll just search for a topic or a thing that I really want to listen to and I'll hit play and then they'll spend 45 minutes talking about other things and making really bad jokes and then making bad jokes about their bad jokes and then adding on more bad jokes into the cascade of bad jokes and none of it ever talks about like you get five actual minutes of them discussing a thing and we do a pretty good job um once we get through the preamble of actually diving in and talking about the film and staying on topic uh yeah and so if we don't, we always give you a heads up, like if we're going to go really far astray from what we do, we try to let y'all know, like we've had political conversations and was like, hey, we've had like medicine conversations and we say, hey, that's going to be at the end. We'll, we'll tag it on at the end so that we get through all the fun stuff that you really are here for. And if you want to stick around because you enjoy a good conversation, um, people uh, picking each other's brains, then we'll have that for you later. So we always try to make sure we take care of our listeners um because that's why we're here. Uh it's to it's to sing and dance for you like the monkeys we are. Is, is it really <laughs> is it really why we do maybe it? yeah quite possible. Um yeah. yeah. So I don't know, with that in mind, what are we talking about today, sir?
1: Ah, ah I, lie. I see what you did there, sir. <laughs> today we are covering the film Talk to Me, um which at the moment, at least on the on the West Coast, is still in theaters uh don't know where it it is if it's still in theaters where you are not sure but please pause this episode and go watch that before we ruin everything because we will
0: Oi, we certainly will is it maybe it's because you're closer to adelaide on the west coast oh that's exactly what it is that's why it is yeah it's a circumference thing
1: i have no idea (laughs) i don't know this one was really weird because i had thought that i saw it streaming you know, several months ago. Oh, and I didn't watch it, but I saw it out. Or, or no, 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 it was out in theaters like six months ago. I thought, yeah. or something. Yeah, that and then, right, right, and then now it's, it, it, now it's still in theaters some places. Or you were seeing it in theaters in the you know central United States, and then. It was just very confusing. Is it in theaters? Is it streaming? I don't know. Because yeah, it so. came
0: out at around the same time as uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. And so right. uh, it was competing against them. And for it to still kind of be picking up, you know, theaters here and there is really wild. So, uh, so that's an interesting... So it's weird. Like,
1: that's how that works, where it could be in some theaters, and, but also be streaming. And then it could be in some other theaters and also be streaming somewhere else. It's like, it's not just a normal, oh, it's going to be in theaters for this long. And then it's always, it's going to be streaming constantly. So that's interesting.
0: It's had an interesting lifeline um, around it. And so, yeah, we'll talk about some of that and a bunch of other stuff. We'll look at some of the directing and cinematography, the visceral storytelling that they do, the story and writing. We'll talk about how they're keeping us off balance, the way they possess the hand. And at the very end of the episode, we'll listen to a new Mad Valley track. Take it all. I'm really excited about that and other such stuff and things and stuff.
1: And a quick synopsis of the film, when a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. It's directed by Danny Filippu, I'm going to say it that way, uh, and Michael Filippu. It's written by Danny Filippo and Bill Hinsman, cinematography by Aaron McCliskey. It's featuring Sophie Wilde as Mia Alexandra Jensen as Jade, Joe Bird as Riley, Miranda Otto as Sue, Zoe Terakes Terix as Haley, and Chris Alosio as Joss.
2: I'll let
1: you in. Someone pump it? Got it.
0: This is so I don't, I'm wondering, did you actually get to see it in a theater or was this a streaming option for you? And what did you think about this new entry into the ghost story? I don't know, uh genre.
1: Yeah, I, I did not get to see it in the theater, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um I, I had to stream it. However, I really had no idea what to expect going into it, right? Because I mean, I don't know how many
0: millions of of ways (laughs)
1: can you do ghost story and, and stuff like that um but I thought it was really well done I liked I liked that it was not based in the U.S. you know that it was somewhere else in the world you know um because uh everything I feel like just takes place in the U.S. and it gets kind of boring it makes the world feel small and the world is not small in so many ways so the fact that it was set um you know in Australia is fantastic and so I, I love that. It made it feel like it could be more real because it was distant, if that makes any sense, because like, you know, this is a foreign place in some other part of, of the world. And, and, oh, this is happening there. Oh, that's crazy. And that it went with, they had this hand that kind of was the, the bridge, I guess. And it's just a creepy hand with the way that it's situated. I love that it's a, a left hand mm. and not a right hand. That, that just felt, just made it that much more awkward. Who shakes hands with your left hand? No one, right. right? I never reach out my left hand to shake somebody's hand. It's always my right hand. Even if I'm left-handed, it's just, that's the way that it is. So I loved that. And then it's just kind of crick, cricked like that. I thought that was done really well and all the graffiti on it and the writing. Uh, I thought it was really smart how they, it was, it was two-pronged. You had to make two decisions. One to grab the hand and to say the first line and the next, once you're in that space to, to make the decision to go further and allow whatever that is into you, I thought is, is a good juxtaposition with like drugs, you know? And that's how it, that's how it felt of like all these kids gathering around, you know, like peer pressure, do this, do this. And they haven't had that scene where they're all doing hits off of it, right? Before the brother... You know, before the brother like goes nuts and starts smashing Dude, his face. What
0: a great observation that it, never occurred to me. Really? Yeah. I, that's I mean, genius. that's what I felt like. I
1: felt like they were just doing lines. You know, like in in that scene, not the one you showed, but the, yeah, yeah. the next one with the, the where she
0: finally lets the brother do a hit. Yeah. Like Basically. Um, and they are comparing it to drugs in the sense that. Uh, she Mia has a history. She did drugs one time. She did weed one time, and now right. her mom, uh, uh, Jade's mom, always thinks that she's just all these drugs are uh, around her, and and so there is that total line of thinking that's being inserted into the film.
1: Yeah, and then especially now, and I don't know if it's everywhere, but at least on the West Coast, there's this whole fentanyl mm-hmm. thing that's happening, and it's really bad. Where you can do you know one hit and die. It, uh, of like some very minimal amount and it it's it's kind of crazy so for me just because you now I live out here you know in the bay area and I know about this this fentanyl craze it was just kind of obvious i don't know it just jumped out at me because he does, the little brother does it one time and he <laughs> goes nuts right and almost kills himself and i and i thought it was it was just really smart how they did it and and that she was you know really distraught about her mother dying and there's this whole kind of relationship she ends up having with the ghost of her mother and Mm -hmm. and but that ghost turns out to be not necessarily what she thinks it is and tricks her but she wants to believe that that so much so that she kind of abandons her father in a way uh in the worst way by trying to kill him and but then she it's it's a it's just a really deep webbed story i feel like um, where all the characters have a purpose, you know,
0: the, the, what's the sister's name? Oh, um, is that, Jade is that, the, her best friend, the sister. Yeah. Yeah. The,
1: okay. Yeah. Jade has this really important role of making us, I mean, we love the brother already. We love, is it Riley? Yeah. Right. We love Riley already. Right. He's just, he's a really great little actor. And, yeah. but the protectiveness that she has of him and and doing things like showing her save his life by putting her hand in the way of his face when he's about to smash his head on the corner of the edge of the the bookshelf like you know she didn't they didn't have to necessarily show that but they showed it to show that she loves him and is protecting him and would do anything to 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 save him including being mad at his at her best friend which then drives her motivation later on for being mad at at her it's like she because she she kind of pushes him around and tells him that he can't sleep with her when he's scared and all, all this stuff so we really need a moment of her protecting him before she's mad at her at her her friend for letting him you know let it in and just that one little moment like, is a really good testament for how they did the storytelling of developing that character's purpose. Right. I also love that the two, we have two people who have the hand, mm-hmm. those, those, I, I'm terrible with names again, but the the guy who did, you know, the guy yeah. and the girl,
0: Joss and
1: Haley. Okay. Joss and Haley. We have two people who have the hand instead of one. I just feel like that is a really interesting, good decision. Instead of having one bad quote unquote, bad egg, you have now a group of bad eggs or, or a, a unit of bad eggs, right? That is more forceful. That's much more forceful when you're trying to get people to do something as crazy as this than having one person, like who cares about that one person, that one person wanting me to do that. I don't care, but there's two people and they're very aggressive and they get
0: other people on their side. And now it's great. And it goes back to your comment about the drugs because they are the cool kids, Yes, they are the the edgy kids who are probably not doing well in school, who peer press you into doing stuff that you probably don't want to do. And they are the one providing this. And it goes right back to they're the drug dealers and they act just like you would want a drug dealer to act.
1: Yeah. And how smart is it? You know how we open, the opening is fantastic. Mm. It's that wonder of him going through the party, that guy going through the
0: party and pulling. It made me his, think of menace. I don't want to, you know, litigate that, but I was like, man, this feels yeah. like a great menace to society kind of moment. And it's just walking great through point. the party and uh, in a horror way now, obviously.
1: Yeah. And then how that ends, crazy, cut Ooh. to black, right? Just what the hell is going on? Yeah. And And then, but then we circle back to the brother later on when they're looking for help because that's where they got the hand from. Oh, we got the hand from the brother or uh, cause they're trying, they're asking Joss, like, where did you get this? And he's, he finally tells him where he got it and they go track this guy down. Oh, it's the guy who got stabbed by his brother. Okay. So we just, a small tie in, you know,
0: it is. Yeah. And the mythos in a horror story is always really important if you can establish it in an interesting way. Cause that was the first thing, you know, she starts asking is like, you know, where'd this come from? And, um, the one story that Joss tells is it's the hand of a psychic who can connect with the dead. And after they died, they, they, they chopped his hand off and, you know, and then Haley immediately chimes in. No, 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 no. I heard it belonged to a Satanist, you know? And so we have nothing but rumors and ideas and it lets our imagination kind of fill in all these blanks of the potential and the possibilities. And so whenever you get deeper into the story, now it really does matter right then when they're telling you these ideas, it doesn't really matter where it came from. But now that the stakes have been raised, they go back to duck and they're like, Hey, what's the deal with this thing? And he gives them all the information that he has. And it's still not a lot, but it's enough to give you some hope. Cause his comment is like, it'll eventually go away. The longer it stays in there, the weaker it gets just sit tight. And they're freaking out. And he's like, Hey, whatever. I gotta go. Um, I told you what I know kind of thing. And it's always important in a horror film to give those mythos moments to breathe and to, to build out the world a little bit. And it's really smart in how they do it because that, you know, starts with a rumor and now it's let's go to the source. And that's why that opening scene, to your point, is so important because we're establishing Mm -hmm. there's there's another group of people who have experienced something with this and it didn't end well.
1: Yeah. And then even at the end where you have that new group of people who have the hand now and she's the ghost or entity, whatever you want to call it, that is having her hand shook. A great twist. I mean, I kind of saw that coming a little mm. bit, you know. To be honest, but I love that she basically sacrificed herself to save him. I, I think that was necessary because she was a total idiot to let him do it in the first place. I mean, it was her fault. It, it, it really was. And the fact that they even half forgave her was almost. That was almost the most fan- fantastical part of the film <laughs> to me. If I'm the mom, you are not getting anywhere near my son. Sorry about it. No. Uh, if If I'm the sister especially you're not getting anywhere near my brother. But anyway,
0: but even with that, they do a really good job of making her so so sympathetic because she's lost her mom. And now this has become her second family and this. And and so they do feel some layer of responsibility, which yeah. In an instant evaporates whenever Sue uh, Jade's mom, Jade and Riley's mom um, is like, you're responsible. All that goodwill goes because it's like, you're not a part of this family. Um, Whereas if the same thing had happened, but it had been Jade's fault, she's not disowning Jade. (laughs) Yeah. There is a difference um, ultimately, you know, in this and for these families, but, but it still gives you enough like sympathy for her that you, you can see why she, they don't really ever abandon her. They get mad at her and they eject her, but ultimately they come back and embrace her. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. just a great, to your point about just building really well-built characters and uh, giving them depth and and reason and logic that underpins all their emotions and all their actions like it's it's a pretty smart film mom
1: the mom doesn't know what happened so it's it's her gut reaction is to say you've done drugs this is your fault I know you did something what did you give him I hate you you're not part of the family but then she comes to her senses and realizes that uh, you know, they tested his blood. He doesn't have anything, any in, in, foreign, whatever in him. So he didn't do drugs. He just had a freak out. I'm sorry. Right. That's understandable from the mom, yeah, yeah. from the sister. The sister knows what happened. So for her to have anything to do with her is like, is kind of crazy to me, but, but she, she knows also that her brother really wanted to do it. So
0: knows he wanted to do it, but also she sees he's not getting better. And whenever yes. Mia comes back and is offering hope, I know what, because Mia mm, stood in point. too long. And so maybe she does have insight um, yeah. in a way that no one else does. And so yeah. that's the one sliver of the the door slightly open that lets her get back in.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if you think about it, like we are, it's very voyeuristic, which is another thing that like I really loved about it. It's we're sitting there from the outside watching and we're thinking, why would anyone want to freaking do this? <laughs> Why would anyone want to do this? It's the exact same, man, as like, you know, drugs, watching people like use needles or whatever. Like, why would anyone want to do this unless you're doing it? And then all of a sudden you have that feeling.
0: I'm high right now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You get that feeling and you're like, oh my God, give it to me again. Yeah. And we're just sitting here watching like, what is happening right now? They're just playing with fire. And you know they are one because you're in a horror movie, <laughs> and you know that. But two because of what you know that they're seeing. We've seen just a little bit of what you know they're seeing, but then experiencing it's just it's just fan. It's just crazy. It, it's absolutely crazy. Yes, to be on this side watching that, but then on their end, it's it's fun and they're just laughing and kind of nuts and and which is a good juxtaposition to the the drug angle, but. Yeah, I loved it man. I thought um it was really nice. smart, well done, beautifully shot. I mean yeah. the the cinematography is fantastic. I mean it's it's all motivated and it feels very real. I never noticed the camera movement. I it, it wasn't I like I like movie like horror movies that don't try to do too much like with the camera. Uh, they just are there. I just feel there and that just where I, to the point where i don't notice it and i can experience the story i can, can experience the acting and l- leaning more on the lighting than the camera itself which i don't even know how you do that i'm just saying like that's how i felt uh it felt really really well done and i it makes me wonder too just cuz i've been you know playing with color a lot more lately you know did they shoot a lot of this you know in a brighter setting and then darken it up because a lot of it is dark it's like really dark but or did they shoot it all, you know, at night and stuff and and everything and just balance it all. I I, I don't know, but um it's just really really thoughtful and 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 beautiful uh to me and the acting is fantastic. I mean, Sophie Wilde yeah. is just yeah,
0: otherworldly. Uh I mean, she's perfect for this role. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see what she does next. Me too, man. Everyone in here, I mean, having Miranda Otto in here is just a feather in the cap, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it lends a lot of legitimacy whenever you, you see the, the, the cast, you're like, okay, um, this is a serious film. Yeah. To your point about the, the, the lighting or whatever, like normally the way you would want to shoot on a bigger project like this is to have a built-in LUT so that you can kind of see, you know, what the end game is, what your grade is generally going to look like. So you can see that kind of the contrast levels and how your lighting is impacting that. And for digital and film, I think you, you expose slightly differently. I know for a film, you want to overexpose by, you know, a, a certain amount, like maybe a third or two thirds of a stop so that you can get as much of the film exposed as possible in terms of the grain, like the smaller the grain, the harder it is to expose. And so if you overexpose, you get all the grain uh, exposed and then you can bring that down in post uh, once you, you know, get it all uh Cut and edited, and you start to do your grade, and you start to correct. You can pull that down, and now what you end up with is uh, a lot more details in the shadows. Whereas, because film isn't very good at uh, getting light and details into the shadows, digital is a little bit better in terms of finding details in the shadows. But the the thing with digital is normally your your sensor has what you call a native ISO. Um, Your ISO like at 800 is what they'll call the native. And what they mean by that is that's the ISO you want to set in order to get the most dynamic range out of your, your sensor. Um, And so you'll get the most latitude. Uh, So if you want to shoot log, some cameras won't even let you shoot log outside of that ISO. Um, And so it's just a, a way to now you're going to be really focused on how you are setting up all your lights, depending on a number of factors, but Especially where you're shooting and if you have enough light, because if that's the case, then you're going to bump up your ISO just because you use what you got. But the the higher the ISO, normally the noisier it gets, but the lower the ISO, sometimes depending on the camera, depending on the codec, on et cetera, et cetera, like there's so many factors, but... Normally, you know, what what you'll often see is the lower you shoot on an ISO setting, uh, just the less latitude that you have to grade in post and you just lose a little bit of dynamic range. And so maybe you can get 14 stops, 13 stops of dynamic range at the native ISO, but then you want to shoot at like 100, you're shooting in bright daylight and you want a really nice uh, depth of field. And so you want to open up the lens a little bit more. And you need to drop the ISO to do that, you just might not get 14, you know, 13, 14. Maybe now you get 10, 11 stops of dynamic range. And so it's just balancing all that. But I mean, I agree completely about just the the camera movement being so motivated because even part of that is it's motivated through the movement. We're watching a character and so we're following them, like whenever they do the 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 possession snap, right, where they they look up. Uh, The camera is obviously cueing on that and it's rotating and it's really giving you a nice dramatic feel. Um, But even whenever we're not tracking someone, they'll still do camera moves and rack focusing. And that's still motivated by giving perspective to one of the people. And that's one of the voyeuristic elements that uh, you picked up on is, you know, we'll cut to these angles and suddenly we're looking at the hand and we're like pushing towards the hand. And it's not because it's just a cool shot. It's because the hand is now kind of reaching out to us or it's about to impose its will on us. It's always motivated by story elements. And I never feel like there's cheap jump scares. It's always story motivated. And that's walking into this film because I walked in blind. I'd seen the trailer. The trailer looked fine. It looked pretty cookie cutter to me. I was like, this is nothing to get excited about. Uh oh, it's a possession story, kids playing with voodoo. That's kind of the what I picked up on. And then of course you get into it and you're like, okay, there's there's something else going on here. And then it just kind of keeps throwing you off balance. Uh, because I think it knows what you expect from it, and then it's thinking about that and then mm-hmm. subverting all those expectations to yeah. to, you know, really mess you up. <laughs> I love that because I in the beginning, we really have no idea what's going to be significant. In that opening oneer, he's walking out. He's trying to save his buddy, and everyone breaks out their phones. And it's just this very like you get upset whenever you see people in trouble, and everyone just wants to watch and record it. Like that's a really harrowing feeling as a as a viewer, uh, let alone as a participant. And-,
1: and how about that use of a oneer? Right, <sighs> the, it's the only one in the movie, I think. Right,
0: like only real. The only one-er. real one, because the the very end is kind of a oneer, but that's oh, yeah. still chopped up, yeah, in, into yeah. sequences. It's, like it's yeah, where everything done. starts getting darker. You mean yeah, yeah. Okay. There, there's clearly some intercutting and some staging, stagecraft going, and uh, where I wouldn't be surprised if it's not really a oneer, right? It's just yeah. piecing together a bunch of green screen work or something. I don't know, or just clever edits. Um, yeah. But I just love that use of it of of
1: because. Uh, it's not the typical, okay, we're halfway through a movie or we're three-quarters of the way through a movie, so we're going to throw it in. It's it's like the opening section. We're going to make this its own thing. By not cutting away, you have its own thing, and it's all in, encompassed in this one single shot, and then, and then we're going to get on with the movie. But you need a little bit of, like, what the heck is going on before we start getting in the story. I love that because sometimes when I get into a film like this, I just think, man, the first five... Even eight minutes are just throwaway. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Got to get up to speed. You got to be introduce all the characters, like all this stuff, and it's just belabored. But this is very. We don't even see his face, really. Mm. You know, because we're walking behind him. So yeah. I'm just like, okay. Who is this guy? I don't know. They're not telling me why is he at this party. W- what is this party? What's he there for? It looks like he's on a mission for something. I have no idea. But it, I have immediately have questions. That's great right at the top of the film to immediately have questions. It's so cool. It's a good way to start a movie any movie. It doesn't matter if it's horror or not. Like that Im-
0: instantly gets me intrigued. I love that. I completely agree. And the contrast of everyone having fun and his intensity yes. is really strong. Yes. Because it gives you a sense of something's wrong here. Um, this isn't a normal party. Whereas I feel like other movies may have taken the same idea and instead of putting this guy on a mission, we're now experiencing a session. We're right in the middle of a session already, and it's kids having fun and taking it. And something weird happens, and someone dies and cut. Now that's going. I love everything you said. It is all one idea with all these one characters, and making it a oneer helps because the more you start to edit, especially editing around characters that we're never going to remember. I think you're asking more from your audience. Oh, great point. You know, you're saying store all this in your head as opposed to let this all be one thing and one. It's more engaging on a visual level and a visceral level, but you're no longer feeling like you need to keep track of everything.
1: Dude, that's it, man. Yes, I didn't know how to put that into words, but that's right? <laughs> definitely
0: <laughs> it. It's just like, it's when
1: I said it's its own thing, Yeah, that's why I felt like it's its own thing because yeah. we're not cutting all over the place. Like you said it before, edits mean energy, right? Let's let this world be the energy, not the cuts. Cause the cuts mean I got to pay attention to it as part of the, part of the narrative story. Whereas mm-hmm. like, no, this is his own thing. And now we're going to go into this other story. We'll tie it back later, maybe, but yeah. it, we don't even have
0: to, even if they didn't, it
1: would have been okay.
0: Right. So genius. Great point. It's really smart stuff. They do a lot with the the directing and cinematography that, I really enjoyed. I mean, we've talked about kind of the rack focusing and the small pushes, but even that final sequence, I really liked, and this is a basic thing. This is something I think about a lot as a filmmaker. And whenever I'm DPing my, my projects, Um, the final sequence with the wheelchair, she comes out of the hospital uh, or not Mia, but her uh, Jade comes out. She's looking for uh, her, her brother and she's running around and there's these really long shadows. I can't remember anymore. It might've been Mia, uh, but Either way, someone comes out of the freaking hospital and it's really long shadows. It's either early in the morning or probably it's later in the day. That's how it feels. The, the lighting always feels a little different later in the day to me, probably because there's less water in the atmosphere kind of thing um, or something. And shooting at that time of day is so much easier on you as a as a filmmaker. For one, um, all the shadows coming towards you create a lot of depth so much depth and it's so much harder to shoot. I, I, if I can help it, I will never shoot daylight outside, um, between the hours of like 10 AM and 4 PM. Um, it's just a nightmare to create any sense of depth, the amount of gear you need to suddenly make it look good on camera and to create depth and, and, and to, be able to shoot around all your, 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 your sequence, you know, to get everything you need. It's just such a headache. There's so much more that you need as opposed to those other hours, like from seven to 10 and, you know, four to six, four to seven, like the the sun is over there. You just need to put whatever you want between you and the sun. And now yeah. everything's going to look better. Uh, if you need a little fill, you can bring in, you know, have someone bring in some fill, some bounce. It's just so much easier. Everything looks better. Mm-hmm. And I would never end. So seeing that in the final sequence was like, this is so much you know, quicker and easier because you don't need to set up any lights. Um, you're not fighting against your conditions. You're going with it. Let the, let the, your key light, the sun schedule around that. And yeah. And so I just, I really appreciate, you know, whenever I see simple little elegant solutions like that to common problems. Um, but that also means you need to be fast. You need to know how much time you have in the clock And you also need to be prepped. So maybe you're not shooting up until four, but you can be rehearsing. You can be planning your shot list so that whenever it's go time, those two to three hours that you have, you know, you can be very quick, bang, bang, bang. And you can kind of draw up the plays like, Hey, uh, we're going to get this shot, these angles, and then we're going to move down to the street and we're going to get these shot and these angles. um, And here's what we're going to need for that. And suddenly everyone's on the same page. You use that time for rehearsal for blocking and it's, not nothing's wasted every moment in your day I don't think that people
1: including myself really realize how fast the sun moves yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's very fast uh when I was, I was doing some filming with my son like you know working on a music video it was just like oh I want to get this okay I'll get that after this shot oh my I can't get it now you know like <laughs> within five or 10 minutes, even at some points, you know, it goes so fast.
0: It's so. so fast. I use an app. Uh, I forget which one. I think oh yeah. 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 I've seen you use that. Yeah. And so I'll break that out just to see where the path of the sun is going to go. And it's nice because it's 3d and it's a, it's AR. And so it'll overlay the mapping of the sun based on what you're seeing through your, your camera That's uh, amazing. on your phone. And so it's like, okay, the tree, the tree line um, is going to, even though the sun doesn't set until seven, it's going to hit those trees at six thirty, And so if we want the sun in the shot, then we need to get it before six thirty. Um, Or if we want to wait until it's being blocked, you know, and then we get this nice soft uh, glow on everything then. Okay. Let's wait until, six, you know, you can plan around that. If you know what the sun doing to these elements, you know, and how that operates and, and impacts your, your set. Yeah. Amazing. A lot going on with the sun. <laughs> um, <laughs> our nearest star is dying. And so uh, the other cinematography thing, and this is, you know, very much hand in hand with directing um, and, and the story itself. Uh, it's all the simple gags that they're able to do. Um, again, gag being kind of a catch-all. Uh, one is reflections. Like we use reflections constantly. Seeing ghosts and windows and mirrors. That's a really easy cheat to throw your actor in makeup and then let them pop up in a mirror. And now in order to sell it, you just reverse cut to wherever they're supposed to be standing and nothing's there. Like you just created a ghost, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Through a camera angle and some makeup. Way to go. Um, and it's creepy. And it, it is works.
1: Every time. It works every <laughs> single time. And it doesn't it almost it doesn't get old if it's used right in the yeah. right way, honestly, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, and they do a great job of mixing in like sound design with all the yeah. visual elements like the lights, uh, another simple gag, just, and that takes more than a reflection. Like now you're having your, your G and E team grip and electric team kind of get into all the, uh, the wiring of the building maybe, or maybe just setting up their own lights. That's probably what they're doing. We're at a point now where, uh, lights can be programmed into your phone or into some kind of a switch. And so you buy like a Titan tube or, you know, a Stera, uh, whoever else, and you, you, plug these fluoros into fluorescent plugins um, or mount them onto the ceiling and they they have wireless controllers and so now you can program in all the flickering and you pair the flickering with nice blocking and acting and then sound design and suddenly it feels like this room is haunted Uh, it's simple but again it works so well because of the story it's all compelled by the story Um, same thing with the candle, what a simple visual element to to use in your story. I'll come back to that for sure. Uh, another simple gag, again, not as simple as reflections, but still relatively simple as doors. It's a very simple thing that they keep doing throughout the film, which is beating down doors. I mean, we see it in yeah. the opening scene, you know, and it, it's a fairly cheap. Now you need a team, you know, your, your carpentry team or whoever set design production design to make sure you're not damaging your location because that could easily happen. And so a lot of thought needs to go into that and how you stage the door um, and what the door is made of and all that stuff. But with the team right team behind it, it's still a lot cheaper than like an explosion. <laughs> all the safety that goes into explosions instead. Now it's just an actor beating down a door and it's easy and it's cheap and it's so visceral. It's physical, it's loud, and it gets a, a, a reaction from your audience. Um and I love that as just a, a way to ramp up tension in the in the scene because normally it's all about like banging on the door. What's better than that is knocking that mofo down. Um mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get characters, that guy in the in the opening one, right? He's like, what are you doing? You're going to break the door. And now you have two characters fighting about a thing that's happening within the scene. And you can see the thing happening. Like, it's just beautiful, simple directing decisions that, you know, really start to pay off for a viewer experience. In a similar way, and this goes hand in hand with the writing aspect, which is the gross out humor. There's a lot of little gross things that get a very deep visceral reaction from your, from your audience, like making out with the dog. That's utterly disgusting. I hate it when I see humans do that and it's affectionate and they're letting their dog lick their face, not on your life. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I love dogs, but not that much. You know, the love yeah. is platonic only <laughs> like, yes. And it's, but watching this kid being possessed, like the story makes it feel that much gross because he's into it. You know, and it's, you, you also are waiting for this guy to wake up out of this and react to what he just experienced. And so there's all these layers to watching him lick a dog and watching the dog lick him. Same thing with sucking on feet. Like it's so gross, you know, um, and the, the, the ghost starts doing it and that's disgusting. And then, you know, she's doing it, you know, for a quick second and that's disgusting and, you're watching her deny it and you're like, oh, my God, this is all really deeply uncomfortable because of this story element, though. Characters are doing things they don't want to be doing, but they're being forced to do by some other entity. Um, and so you never feel like this is a volitional thing. Instead, it's uh, a compulsion thing. And it's so cool. And all these things elicit, you know, the, the, the gags and the humor and the, the gross out tactics they all elicit emotional reactions from the audience. And those are easy, easy wins for engagement, but because they're built into the story, they don't just feel like cheap plays, but they feel logical and consistent with what's happening. Therefore it's not melodramatic, you know? And for me, those are melodramatic moments. Usually pull me out of stories when I see characters yelling, just because there's nothing else interesting happening in the, in the, in the story, in the scene. So they just yell each other's lines to give a sense of drama, that's melodrama. Whereas characters being, you know, upset over something that just happened and therefore yelling, that's logical. That's just drama. Um, And those are two different elements. And the story does a great job of staying away from melodrama and just earning every single moment of actual character drama. Yeah, and that's all goes hand in hand with a lot of the cinematography and the directing uh, are playing in, you know, pretty close proximity there. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Story and writing wise, there's something that happened. I didn't pick up until my my rewatch this morning. So I I saw it in theaters and I watched it last night, you know, just as a refresh um, and then took some notes this morning. And I didn't notice until this morning that Mia sneezes a lot, you know, a, a few times in the opening. And I thought that was just interesting because sneezes historically are tied to the spirit realm like depending on who you talk to, right? It's spirits escaping or it's an opening for spirits. And therefore we say, bless you, or it's spirits being expelled from your body and, and bless you as some kind of like salve. And it's similar to knocking Mm. on wood. And I don't think ultimately it, it ties into the film. It's just this little element that feels like the filmmakers are kind of winking at you about, I don't remember that. I don't remember her sneezing at even once. That's funny. She does it into her, her elbow the first time. It's with her dad. She's washing dishes. It's after I guess some memorial with her Uh-oh. mom. And she's yeah. washing dishes, and her back is to her dad. That's right. And she sneezes, and he, bless you, and he she shuts it off. What? Oh, uh, are you coming down with something? No. And she waits. I love that. The pacing of this movie is so good uh, yeah. because she waits for him to keep talking, and he doesn't. She goes back to washing her dishes and then he decides to talk again and it's this discomfort and it's so good because the pacing makes sense. The relationship is strained and therefore it's like he's looking for a buffer. He's looking for the water to run some kind of interference to being able to talk to his daughter. And so there's like an emotional logic for him to do what he's doing, but there's also the frustration of her like stop talking while the water's running. <laughs> and she's like, what? You know, and it's so good. It's so telling of their relationship just through the pacing and through the blocking of that scene, using the the sink um, as like this other story element. Like, yeah. there's so much happening in this movie, and it's it's great. It's their first movie. This is their first movie that they amazing. made. Amazing, amazing. The hell, God. um, the off balance stuff. So I started talking about this a little while ago, and uh, I want to finish that, and which is they're constantly putting us off balance. And we have no idea what's going to be significant in the story. So for instance, the first ghost, I mean, the, the, the opening shot, we don't know if that's significant. We see a guy kill himself. Well, I guess we're not going to hear any more from him. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, what else is happening? And so we, we get into that first time the hand gets brought out and we see Amelia, you know, go a little over and there's freaky things happening and we're like, we think as an audience, this is it. This is our entrance. Okay. We're in it now. No, that's, that's the on-ramp, you know, uh, because later we do a whole sequence of them. And then, you know, as that's happening, right. The next time we, we get in there, it's Daniel. It's her ex-boyfriend, right? The, uh, Jade's current boyfriend and elementary boyfriend of, of Mia. And, Whenever Daniel, you know, goes through his thing, he's licking the dog and he wakes up, you know, the possession ends and he gets up and he's freaked out. And he's like, delete the video. And he's making a really big deal about that. So now it's like, oh, is this going to take a different direction? Is there going to be like social fallout? Because we just don't know where this movie's headed yet. Uh, Because if if that first big ghost sequence, uh, the first big possession with Mia, if that wasn't the big payoff, what is and so we're we're kind of just feeling our way through this movie about what's important and what isn't. And I love that. I think other films would be clumsy with it because they just don't know themselves. And so they're just throwing stuff at you. Uh, I see that happen. And this film is just teasing you. It's not letting you in on where is the big moment happening? Uh, because this moment with Daniel happens. And it's interesting because social media is kind of playing this layered element that we don't know. If it's really going to come into play at all, because that opening, right, we have that social media interaction thing, everyone on their phones. And then our first look at the possession is through a social media thing. It's like a TikTok or an Instagram story and mm-hmm. they're, they're commenting about it. And so it doesn't feel like a real serious thing. And like, what does this mean? Where are we going here? And then after the Daniel moment, we kick off this whole montage. It's this big montage sequence, which is probably my favorite moment of the movie. It's this Edith Piaf remix. And they're taking Edith Piaf, uh Rose, I think. And they're turning it into like this hip hop soundtrack for a montage of ghosts. Like what, <laughs> what is what? happening? So, so freaking, weird. So freaking dope, man. Um, and what's so good about it again, about keeping us off balance is this montage completely disarms us. Because now everyone is taking a turn. Normally in a ghost movie, a Ouija thing, one person gets infected and that's it. One person tries the the voodoo and they're it, right? They're tagged, they're it, and now it's all about staying away from them or what is going to happen to them. And now everyone's getting tagged. And so if everyone's taking a turn and this montage makes it look so fun, so carefree, everything's harmless right? The drugs can't hurt you. And it's just, what is the purpose? What are we doing here? And it's so, it's so confusing because everything feels okay. And then Riley's turn, right? This is where Mia's mom shows up and we've been waiting for the movie to turn for the big reveal to, to show us the way where, what path are we taking? And I love it because the setup after that big montage and now They're about to wrap up. They're all about to go home and Riley wants to take a turn and Jade isn't having it like she and her brother don't get along, but she's still, and it goes back to your point about her function in this role in this film. And here we're seeing them fight it out because she doesn't want, she's trying to protect her brother and Jade and Riley start talking really crappy to each other. They say a bunch of really hurtful things right before he takes his turn and it ramps up the emotional stakes because now we want to see that resolved. We know that she, that's how siblings talk. <laughs> like that's just You get frustrated. You're over familiar with this person. You've known them your whole life. You wake up, they're there. You go to bed, they're there. Um, they know the buttons to push and you just get fed up with your siblings. And so we know that we know that she doesn't actually hate her brother. And you're my favorite person, right? She sarcastically is just, Telling her brother that she hates him. And we want to see that get resolved because we know that's not how they actually feel about each other. But what happens, of course, Riley gets Mia's mom, which pushes the button on Mia. And now, and I love that shot as before they reveal who is actually possessing him. We know there's something significant happening because we're getting this really slow push in on Riley. And Mia is just there in the background, slightly out of focus. And the closer we get to Riley, the more Mia's getting squeezed into the corner of the frame until the reveal of it's it's Mia's mom. And then Riley, possessed, looks at Mia. And when he does, we reframe, right? We kind of tilt and pan down to Mia and rack focus to her. And that kind of sells the final idea that we all are feeling now. We just know, and it's such a, a beautiful little reveal to let the audience know. And then of course she confirms it, mom, right? But even before she says, mom, you knew mom, you already knew it. Um, And so that's just an extra layer just to make sure no one gets left behind. But also it's just a genuine reaction. That's what you would expect. (laughs) So what else is she supposed to say? Right. And that whole movement is a great way to dramatize and emphasize everything that's happening. Like it's just, great stuff my last little note here is about the hand itself like possessing the hand i love the design of the hand you already touched on it right it's got that creepy posture it's kind of crooked the hand the fingers are thing i didn't even think about the left-handedness of it so right it was
1: it was so awkward the whole time Uh, every time anybody would grab it i'd
0: be like that's so weird it's just, just another layer you know it is. And it's balanced really well, right? To stay upright. I'm, I'm assuming they put some kind of little counterweight at the bottom of the hand to make sure it stays uh, in place. If not, I can kind of buy that it's balanced just right so that whenever it sits, uh, it doesn't fall over based on the look of it and the centering and the wrist movement, and all that stuff. But the other cool thing they do about this whole thing, which it's so hard to come up with a new iconic looking idea. It's so hard, um, let alone in possession movies. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but they do a great job of establishing the rules. Most horror films of this type of this, you know, kind of simple teenage horror landscape. They have rules and they establish them really well. You light the candle to open the door. You blow it out to close it. She can't stay longer than 90 seconds. If it stays, it'll stay forever or whatever. Um, And they give you all these kind of spook stories. They clearly don't know. And they do a good job of communicating that to the audience. This is all guesswork. And part of that Mm -hmm. goes back to the mythos. They don't actually know. They're guessing. And so everything that comes out of their mouths, you second guess. And I think that's a really good use of having the mythos being thrown around to make us know as an audience we can't completely trust everything they say. Uh, this is all just you know shrugging. And I heard a friend say this once and mm-hmm. I think it's true. And so they do it once again, keeping us off balance. Uh, but the other elements, these are really fun visual steps. You light a candle, you hold the hand, you say, talk to me. Then you say, I let you in. And you, from there, it's, you know, simple. All those things are still simple. You throw your head back, right? The, with the camera move. There's a sound effect and now you have these simple visual elements to communicate. They are now possessed. Um, you ramp it up with the eye contacts or maybe visual effects, depending on the shot, depending on the scene and adding makeup. Right. And from there, it's just performance like name the expensive part of this. You can't, This yeah. is all dirt yeah. cheap stuff. Um, it's a prop, a hand and rules and visual flair. Uh, makeup is the most expensive part of this whole process. Uh, which takes time. Uh, I'm sure the makeup artist got really good at doing this, and it's creepy. It's really creepy makeup. It's so good. Um, and then from there, it's performance, right? Mm-hmm. Choking, simple. It's free. Right? It's acting, voices. They do little these little voices in the 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 montage sequence. I love that Mia suddenly starts singing uh, "Lavie Rose." Uh, it's perfect. Um, and and smart. And then of course to end it you remove the hand and you blow out the candle. And I love that because it's a great visual way to demonstrate a possession has ended. And of course, removing the makeup and that's a massive challenge for possession films. And I've said this a million times, like possession films are, are the weakest genre of horror because of that simple reason. It's hard to communicate when you're no longer possessed. It's just not a very visually satisfying way to approach that story. And here they've done that. They've given you a visual element, which is the hand being ripped out. And then, of course, performance, you know, take a big gasp of air and blow out the candle and suddenly like, okay, and a dramatic pause. Like those visual elements are so hard to come by in possession stories. And, you know, I just feel so jealous of the Philippos that they came up with that. It's just smart, smart storytelling. But the other thing that they do, you get towards the end of the film. And suddenly there's a reversal whenever she's in the hospital and she meets the little girl. And when the little girl says, I let you in, it's so unexpected. Yeah. But it suddenly feels so obvious. And that kind of turn is brilliant. Storytelling like to come up with something that feels obvious, but is not to the audience until you reveal it. That's I, and for it to be a little
1: girl who doesn't look like destroyed, you know, like the other monsters or whatever ghosts, it who would she of course like a little I, I would wouldn't expect like an older woman. I, I don't know. For some reason, I expect a little girl to be like, OK, you know, and like let let her in. And then just the to be honest, the shots of hell are fan freaking tastic i think that's where all the budget went like (laughs) whatever they're doing to that little boy you know like felt terrifying that was the scaredest i was in the entire film in those quick little half second shots just done was unbelievable to me
0: and they did that so well yeah the the sound design the, the all the makeup and intercutting her reaction because we're living viscerally through her reaction, yeah, uh, just really sells it. It all comes together, and they don't tarry, right? They're not just uh, hanging out there for too long. I think other films might say we spend all this money on putting all these actors in these crazy makeup. Let's get our bang for the buck. Your bang for the buck is actually minimizing it so that it just lives in your head longer than it lives in your eye.
1: (laughs) It's still in my head. I watched this movie one time and I'm like, oh my God, I can still close my eyes and see it. It's crazy.
0: Hell sucks. I don't want that. And it's not even,
1: that's the thing. Like, it's not even gory. It's just, it's just aggressive and, you know, reactive where we have that, I, I don't know if it's one or two quick shots where we, where we see Riley yeah it's just surrounded by whatever the heck he's surrounded by lay like laying down or something yeah i I can see it in my head right now and it was because like if you've ever watched something and you close your eyes you see that last frame of whatever it is that you're seeing and that holds in your mind yeah and so making these cuts really quick like that just locks it into your brain somehow so yeah it's just unbelievable so good
0: And that whole idea of the ghost letting her in really just expands the scale of the universe. It makes you think there's so much more to this world than I had originally thought. Um, And then, of course, at the very end, when we experience Mia going to the light, we finally understand the significance of the candle. She was in the dark and it was her only source. It was like a moth to the flame. That, again, is adding another wrinkle to this whole thing to experience it from the ghost perspective, isn't something I really expected to understand. I didn't expect to understand the significance of the candle. Whenever I saw that, I was like, okay, that's just a cool idea. And it, it makes not like literal sense, but it makes sense to create these extra elements to a seance. It felt very seancey. And that was kind of the extent that I gave it. But whenever you finally experience it from her perspective of she's living in the dark and there's, Mm -hmm. there's a light well, what do you do? You go to the light like a moth, right? You just, you go to the one thing you can see. And that's why they were able to attract ghosts, you know, with the candle. It's, it's a, it's a very simple visual idea. Yeah. And it also just makes you start to wonder more about the experience of the ghosts. Yeah. It, they've opened it up a lot. These guys, um, I I will link after I got home, I was really impressed. And I, Uh, I was just curious what else these guys have made and they've made nothing else. Um, This is their first movie. They were YouTubers for years and it wasn't until I, I pulled up their channel that I suddenly recognized them. I was like, Oh, I've seen these guys before. Uh, They run a channel called Rocka Rocka, and I'll link this video because they talk about making the movie and getting into Sundance and God, it's so emotional watching these guys <laughs> really they go to Sundance they meet Adam Sandler this Adam Sandler randomly pulls up in an SUV and he's like hey what time is your your movies tonight guys <laughs> like, or whatever <laughs> perfect <he talks. laughs> perfect because he talks like that all the time <laughs> and, and they're like oh my god it's Adam Sandler and I'm like hey why don't stop ignoring our calls and like they, these guys are hams like they remind me of Whenever I was more carefree. Now they're at a 10. I'm like at a four compared to them. Cause they're like constantly doing these wrestling moves and body slamming each other. like during they're press events. Yeah. They're a YouTuber. Yeah. That's right. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Uh, but they're hilarious, but they, they, all their jokes and gags are never at the expense of anybody else. Like it's all good it. natured and they seem like really, you know, sweet guys and watching their, their story uh, is just really inspiring, but also Hearing some of the decisions that they had to make. Now, this was a 4.5 million dollar budget, and so they weren't slumming it. But they uh-huh. said in the video that originally they were, you know, signing on with a studio to, to make this movie, and so they were going to get, you know, more budget, more resources. And apparently, the the studio they what they said was they got a bunch of creative notes back from the studio that they didn't agree with, and they just decided to go it their own way. Apparently the studio didn't want to shoot it in Australia, Adelaide, which was funny because that was like the first thing you said was, "I love that it takes place in Australia." Yeah, they didn't want they didn't want the accents. They they wanted it to be you know more American centric. Um, is the way it sounded anyway. But I can imagine a bunch of the other story notes going completely against the grain because they they carved their own idea of what a horror film should be and took it and leveraged other tropey aspects of other horror films to use it against the audience as you know, we've been talking about. And I can see a studio coming back and saying, let's make this safer. <laughs> let's make it mm-hmm. uh, a little more audience friendly. And, and in that way, remove all the interesting things that make this talk to me. Yeah. And so kudos to them for, for going their own way, for, for bootstrapping it to some degree. And they said they poured their own fees right back into the film um, and the same thing with one of their partners did the exact same thing, which is gutsy. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, very inspiring. I would, I will link it in the, the show notes to just go watch it. It's so, yeah, I will. so much fun. It's so inspiring. Um, and these guys just, they, they're already have apparently uh, a prequel and a sequel in mind and they've, I don't know how far into that process, uh, I don't know if the screenplay is completely finished, but they'd already started working on it. And so uh, I don't blame them. Like part of me is like, no, go make something else. But uh, I can, I want to see them do an action film. Like what does an action movie look like to them? Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not even big on action films, but if you watch some of their other work, they're clearly action junkies, but I don't blame them for you have goodwill, make two, three other films, uh, make this a big franchise hit. And once this thing is pulled in a billion dollars, as a franchise you can do whatever you want yeah exactly go do (laughs) like take it go and do yeah yeah nice oh nice well that's all i got man final thoughts
1: i i I loved it i can't wait to see more uh from these guys and from all the actors in the film they're all fantastic which you know if you you have the best story in the world shot the best way and everything but if the the acting falls flat then the entire story does so uh, I mean, if anything falls flat, really like it hurts everything. But I just thought that everything that was, was very smart. The acting was great. The story is smart um, and the directing is fantastic. So great movie. All great around. movie.
0: I think like for me as a, as a filmmaker, I'm really, really inspired just by how they shot their scenes. Like the scene work as far as coverage mm-hmm. is so specific. They're not being wasteful and they're not, they're not getting coverage They're yeah. They might get a master shot, but they're thinking moment to moment within a scene and watching how they frame up all these individual moments and how it all ties together to tell that full scene, um, into a sequence, uh, is really, really, really good. And if you're a filmmaker that, you know, you want to have more ideas about how to approach a scene, this is a great movie from first time directors to go through and study and just kind of break out, like sh- shot list at all. What did they shoot for this scene? what, Go look at that very first uh, possession scene and shot list at all. What Mm -hmm. did they get for the scene and why did they get it? I'm sure they didn't shoot that whole scene in entirety more than once or twice because they're like, okay, we're going to go to this angle. Now we're going to go to this angle. Now we're going to go to this angle. Like maybe they sat and blocked it with all their actors, you know, and then from there said, okay, here's how we're going to shoot. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, It's really sharp. Great filmmaking. Yeah. Um, What are you going to recommend this week? This week, I I happened upon a
1: short film on YouTube that I really liked. I thought it was done really well by, I I think he's a high school student or he just graduated from high school. I'm not sure. His name is Wesley Wang. Um, He's got a short film out. It's about 12 minutes long, 13 minutes long called Nothing Except Everything. And just about like his last year of high school. Uh it's not played by him. Uh, he is an actor in it, whatever, but it's just shot and edited really, really well, especially for uh just a younger person. So yeah, I'll I'll send you a link to that or whatever. But it's called Nothing Except Everything, short film by Wesley Wang.
0: Nice job, Wes. I never say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well done. Um I'm gonna recommend a new Netflix. I've only I'm only like two or three episodes in. It's on Netflix. It's a uh, new Mike Flanagan. I am such a huge fan of this guy. Uh, it's called the fall of the house of Usher. That's a horror film or a series. Uh, it's October, of course. And what's great about it. You know, this guy, this is the same guy behind the house of uh, hunting on Hill house, uh haunting of Bly Manor mass, uh, not mass effect, <laughs> uh, midnight mass. And I just, everything he's doing, I'm hoping he gets to do the dark tower series because um, he has such a great taste Um, And he knows how to approach horror uh, with with a soft touch to pull you in before he punches you. And so, yeah, if you're if you're looking for a new horror series, uh, Netflix uh, is is on top of it and they need to do everything they can to keep Mike Flanagan in house, because I think he's looking at Dark Tower with Amazon, Uh, which I'm going to watch it no matter where. But uh, if Netflix is on their game, they know they got to keep this guy around. Stay tuned for next week. We're going to take another look at a recent film. Uh, this one's by Gareth Edwards called The Creator. This is making a lot of buzz and uh, the the indie film, you know, circuit people, me, <laughs> uh, but mostly like a lot of other filmmakers are really interested in this because of the way he shot it. And so we'll see if we can pull anything out. That's interesting about that. But if nothing else, I'm sure it'll be a fun conversation. So the creator next week. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a note. If you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepistlepodcast.com slash talk to me.
1: And our quote of the day is from the amazing Edgar Allan Poe. Words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of their reality. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's amazing. It's so deep because I mean, you make it reality, right? But if you're, especially if you experience, like if you have negative experiences to, to attach words to, you can like, they become more real, you know? Like if you've experienced nightmares, like visceral nightmares, not necessarily possessions, but physical nightmares, then you can watch a film like this and, get much more out of it i'm sure you know but yeah but just
0: wow it's unbelievable dang well said nice from here we're gonna listen to a new track from mad valley that's todd's band um todd anything you want to say before we hit play
1: uh yeah sure i mean this this track i uh my sister has gone through a lot in her life like in her life in in general you know i won't i won't get into it, but um, from it, 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 she's just gone through a lot. lot. And so I respect her more and love her, you know, more than, than anybody. And she has gone through like a a pretty bad divorce. And I just knew that I was going to write something not necessarily for her, but, but like to kind of, uh, she's not a very, uh, um, vindictful person, uh, I would say, uh, and neither am I, but I want, I would like her to be in some ways. And so I, I wrote this as kind of like a way for her to feel that vindictfulness without actually being that. So that's what I would say.
0: Very cool. Okay. Let's take a listen. (laughs) (laughs) Heat. That is Thanks, heat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, This might be my favorite track. It's hard. Like, I go back huh. and forth with a handful of tracks, usually whatever I'm listening to at the time, but this track, it sticks in my head. Whenever I hear it, I'm thinking a lot of like neon and turquoise and, Ooh. um, and, and, and i hi- pink and i'm imagining, you know, flock of seagulls is queued up next, uh iran, you know, and yeah. i just i hear nothing but 80s in my head and it makes me want to just go on on the dance floor, start moving completely out of rhythm, which is my signature move, and <laughs> just completely going crazy. Like this th- it sends me, bro. It sends me. I'm curious how much of this was what, you know, of the final product is what you started with before going into the studio there's some moments in here i love the breakdown coming out specifically coming out of the breakdown with the oh uh, we just kind of drop in it feels like you know you're you're winding up a punch and it's just uh you're it hits um and i man and my favorite there's this line that you drop um you're the only one living for yourself uh oh, enjoy yeah. yourself oh my god that's a burn that's yeah. such a burn bro oh uh, yeah so yeah. Tell, talk to uh, me man
1: well man i love that you love it because i i feel like it was an afterthought it was the last song i wrote for the record and what? uh yeah the very last one and and you know of the when we were in the studio working on it nobody was like super excited about it i was like very excited about it. This was one of my, when I, when I wrote it, I thought, Oh my God, this is the single, like, this is amazing. Um, and, uh, I just loved it, but it's just kind of been an afterthought, I think. Uh, so to know that it's one of your favorites is awesome for me because it's one of mine too. Actually, there were a lot of happy accidents that happened with this track. I'll just say a few. One of them was the guitar on the track was a one take thing where I was just I was in here and I was making I made this all on my little synthstrom deluge over here. This one little synthesizer I had, the whole thing. The drums, our Lin drum samples, the uh the 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 synth, obviously, there's like three synths going on. They're all in this thing. And and I thought, you know what, there's too much synth going on. So I wanted to add a guitar. So I just quickly like plugged a guitar into the synthesizer, like directly into it and recorded directly into it like this just bone dry my my Les Paul just into it and I was just trying to think of like what's a rhythm okay okay this is cool okay cool and I found the chords and I just played it directly into that and that's what's on the track holy crap because I meant to we meant to re-record it but we didn't have the time and I was just I just thought oh, let's just see what the mixer can do to it and he made it sound f- fan-freaking-tastic and and the first guy who mixed it he he mixed it really low, the guitar, and the synthesizer was the focus. And this guy that I went with did the opposite. And I I thought, oh, wow, this random guitar thing that I didn't run through an amp or it's anything. So much life.
0: It's so it's, much life.
1: Right? It just felt like real, like it was raw. Um, the ending was an accident. I had an ending where it just kind of like fades out. But I was listening to a, a raw version coming from the gym and I walked into my car, I turned on my car and it, it transferred from my earbuds to the car right at the very end. And it cut off. Oh, And and I thought, Oh my God, that's such a better ending to just cut it off at the very end. So that was an accident too. Uh The, Oh, was just something that I did in the booth. Cause I was bored in the bridge. <laughs> Cause you know, you sing the, you sing the, the chorus. And then you have this bridge section and then I'm supposed to come into the ending chorus. And I was bored. So I was just, I should say something. And so I went, Oh, and it, and I love, ended up loving it. So I did yeah. it a bunch of times and got it right. And I love that you mentioned flock of seagulls because are <laughs> like this eighties vibe and neon. I've not, I've wanted to do a video for this, but I have no idea how to like what to do. That's it. It's, it's absolutely that, especially with that bridge section with a, the synthesizer kind of lead line happening vary that. So uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorites too,
0: dude. I love it so much. Yeah. That, that blows my mind. How much that just kind of one that it was tacked on there at the end. Um, But then yeah, how much came as just like experimentation, like the there's been a number of times and I'm always looking for happy accidents. And I think if you're working, if your process is good, you'll find a lot of happy accidents. You know, especially if you're open to it, I think the more open you are to discovery and less of my vision was X and it has to be X. Anything other than that is wrong. Like you're setting yourself up for failure because so many organic things just happen through the process. And if if you're really disciplined with your process and you'll find these moments because you've carved out like this is how I'm going to approach this. Oh, now that I'm here and going through my process because i have all these steps i have all these you know angles and approaches i didn't see this coming and so it pops out there's so much more contrast when you have a methodology or whenever you have an approach or something you're trying to do that contrast of seeing this other thing come out will just be so obvious and so cl- crystal clear uh yeah that's really cool i've a number of times i've uh, it's funny you're talking about the car thing there was a I was editing a, a wedding video. I've shot two weddings in my life and never again. And I was editing one for our friends, uh, Dave and Bianca. I was at the end of the video. It just kind of stops. And in the edit and in premiere at the time, it would do this weird thing where kind of um, the last frame of the edit would like do a, a weird little, not click, but there's a, a white flash and there's an interesting little thing that happens in premiere and i just loved it um it felt like it fit in with the song that they wanted um and so i recreated the effect for the the video so that it would keep that same kind of idea uh going and you know i played it up and i was whatever it takes like whatever you see inspiration use it always use it yeah
1: yeah man, nice. I love that you love that line too. That was one of my favorite lines that's, on the record too. A it, burn. It's just a it's just a half ass way to be aggressive. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> like you know very cheeky kind of kind of thing. So um, and then uh, you know the the single came out and I sent it to my sister. Uh, she had heard it um, one time before, but I sent it to her and it meant a lot to her. You know what I mean? It, so not all the songs are for someone uh, on the record, so it was really special. that I could. Do something for her, you know, Very even cool. at, as small as it is. So. But yeah, thanks for playing it, man. I appreciate it, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you dig it.
0: Yeah, man, thanks for sharing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. I had a blast. Talk to me. Great film. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Please subscribe, review us uh, 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 wherever you get your podcast. Share us. It all matters and it all helps so much more than you know. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.